Hi, and welcome to the seventh episode of a podcast we are calling The Shit Series. I'm Julia, clinical psychologist, and I'm joined by Tania, Kiora, and Jessie. Hello. Both clinical psychologists. So last week we talked about the shit thoughts that we have as sleepers. Not only that most of us struggle with sleep at times, but also that the modern world doesn't support us particularly well in our sleep. This week, we're going to talk about I look shit. Tanya, that seems like quite a big topic. Are we talking about our bodies or our faces? Yeah, I think we're talking about the whole lot about how we present how we present to the world that thing that we always goes before our, we often goes before our words not actually on this podcast this no. is a beautiful thing this podcast <laughs> we can be hidden ah, we don't need do to say? worry about looking shit yeah we don't worry about looking shit on this podcast no no in fact I'm actually sitting here with very bad shoes on <laughs> There we go. That's what we're actually about. We're about judgment. Immediately, Julia's leapt in with bad. Whereas actually, when I look at those shoes, they look like a comfort sensation. And they look ridiculously practical. And they look like if there was an earthquake, you could run. Like they are gold. They were gold. Yeah, yeah. I could get out of here very quickly in these shoes. Those are great shoes. And that is what this topic's about. A little bit about, whoa, do we judge ourselves on our appearance well many of us do and celebrate those that don't wow okay this is an area where I have lots of like my cave woman brings me lots of judgments about the fact that I have these thoughts like I like to Ah. think oh you know I can just be accepting of the way I look and you know I love my body and all of that and then when I have these thoughts of like oh I look really shit I then go oh that's such a superficial thing to worry about and and get like yeah that kind of thinking about my thinking in this area yeah Tania's famous double loop the the second arrow oh the second arrow actually I think that's I think that's Tara Brack, but anywho, <laughs> let's call it mine. That second arrow, we have the painful feeling of I look shit, and then we do the secondary I'm shit for thinking I look mm. shit. And it is, isn't it? Now, what's the ad? Oh, we don't want to promote anything on our podcast, but there's Dove. No. <laughs> We're getting ahead of ourselves here. Let's come back to where do we start? Yeah. Okay. Probably at the normal place with the biological reasons we even have these thoughts. Okay. Well, this one, we need to take a look way back to Darwin, who coined the phrase sexual selection. And evidently it was Darwin was either the earliest or one of the early scientists to think that there was some kind of beauty involved in the selection of mates. And in the animal kingdom, often it is the males might have the most elaborate appearances to attract mates. Mm, The peacock. The peacock. Peacocks appear, I love this, evidently female female peacocks. Oh, we're getting a biology lesson. This is cool. (laughs) Prefer males with the most eye spots on their tail. And it seems that eye spots on a tail have a relationship between the size of the male tail and how healthy the peacock offspring are going to be. 
So this mm. kind of early thinking that it seemed like beauty or some kind of elaborate appearance was important if it took time to raise the offspring, which brings early biology to thinking that attraction was based on reproduction. In more recent mm. research, there has been a connection between men's jawlines, I think deepness of voice, mm. in terms of female selection, which could be in some way, which might be connected with testosterone. Or... Would I, just to, sorry to jump in there, Tania, Please but do. what I had, I think I had noted was that what we actually desired in a mate changed depending on where we were in our cycle so that when we were the most fertile, we would find those with those attributes or males with those attributes, you know, the square jaw, the deeper voice, that kind of thing, more attractive. However, when we weren't fertile, that we would choose more feminine features on a male. The idea being, Jessie's looking at me very quizzically. <laughs> don't shoot, don't shoot the messenger, Jessie. <laughs> uh, that when we're breeding, we want the genes that are going to, I don't know, be the toughest, something like that. But when we're not, we actually want males around us that are likely to be more sensitive or help raise the offspring. Mm, makes sense, doesn't it? Evidently, it was perhaps around the early 1800s that there was a bit of a alteration in what was deemed beautiful mm. as well and so being fat was very attractive mm. in earlier times and then somewhere around industrialization skinny became associated with well-being and attraction and fatness became associated with slothfulness mm. it's really interesting isn't it because I wonder how much of that is related to socialization and the messages that we get from I mean I don't know the timeline but where did advertising kind of come in when we saw those shifts yeah, yeah I also have that wondering Jesse I think that why we search for beauty in either our partners or ourselves is relatively understandable attractiveness is often the person that we want to mate with so it does tend to have that biological link for me the real interest is what has become beautiful and why has that changed quite considerably from what I can only presume we would have found attractive when we were cave people yeah you know wide hips flesh on bones yeah yes someone who looked like they would be able to carry babies yes. and keep the survival of the species yeah I kind of like this biological perspective in some ways because it gives us a chance to step back and see the beauty for what it is doesn't it freeze us up from whether we fit an ideal or not to go oh well there's some biological drivers like we always talk about in these podcasts mm, being yeah. able to go that makes sense that it matters to us absolutely and we hold it lightly <laughs> we, yeah. we don't have to fully buy in we can be curious about our minds without believing them we don't have to be slaves to our cave people yeah yeah and we can embrace the pre-industrialized and celebrate bigness smallness hairiness non-hairiness I'm just noticing I'm thinking out loud but that kind of idea of thinking that perhaps women who had bigger hips and flesh on their bones if that meant that they were going to be more likely to be able to breed 
But from a biological perspective, would it actually have been more helpful to have diversity and a wide range of different shapes and sizes for the evolution of the species? Like someone who's tall and lean and who's going to be, you know, a really fast runner who can then Mm-hmm. run away from the tigers <laughs> and go and get food really well and someone who's bigger and kind of more capable of kind of other things I don't know like it's a good this... question I was thinking the bigness might have just meant you're not almost dead so sort of living that was the simplicity of my oh, analysis as opposed to starving yes, yes I have to admit yes. but I'm hearing you you yes but do you think that diversity yeah. of shapes and sizes would have been more helpful than an ideal Or I don't know, is it more about the ideal from a biological perspective? Yeah, I'm having a feeling that to give my opinion on that will dive us into (laughs) a lot of evolutionary theory, which I think will bore the pants (laughs) off our listeners. So I'm wondering if we can email us if they want want a a, a special (laughs) one-on-one with Julia about evolutionary theories. Before you came on, Jesse, Julia and I had to look at ourselves on the recording and I went, oh, no. (laughs) And Julia had to explain to me it's because you weren't there to fill the screen that we had to look at ourselves. But we talked a wee bit about it in our pop-up and lockdown, didn't we? The phenomena of having to look at ourselves so much over Zoom, over over video conferencing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just have to look at any kind of piece of reflective glass to trigger your shit thinking about Mm. I look shit right I think that's a really nice segue into how does this phenomenon of wanting to be attractive actually get in the way for us in this modern world that's a great point Julia reflecting on how does fixation with how we look get in the way of leading Mm. the life we want fixation is a bit of a strong word maybe just occasionally finding it a bit demoralizing or being impacted by it I've just finished reading a terrific book by a woman Aubrey Gordon who writes about being a fat kid and how she was a really keen butterfly swimmer but after so much scrutiny came on her body from her school from being sent off to fat camp from different medical personnel in her life that she stopped swimming she loved being physical but the excruciating nature of having to expose her body to get to the pool meant she completely stopped altogether and her book is a really political book on how we confront some of that stuff but can get in the way of leading a life we want can't it Mm. and how many examples like those would Mm. we have and even in our own lives the little mini examples of that we've been offered the ability to go to the spa up the road at our relative's house and the thought that flits through your mind of having to be in togs in that scenario in front of other adults yeah yeah there's just so many examples there's there like I'm just kind of thinking about offering some examples of my own 
thoughts that come up around this topic. And it's like, where do I even begin? Because it it comes up a lot in terms of our bodies, in terms of our faces, in terms of what we wear. And I can remember these thoughts being the loudest for me, probably when I was a teenager. I mean, they're still there now, but probably when I was a teenager. And your cave girl or boy or or person can be really loud about this stuff. Mm. And what I've noticed is that it seems to have expanded from just being attractive to being likable, to being accepted, to actually controlling our feelings. And I know for myself that at times food will be used to make myself feel better. The control of food. Or eating food, as in I have an unpleasant emotion, so I'm going to have a whole bar of king-sized chocolate to manage that. Right. (laughs) Yeah, our relationship with our bodies and I guess by extension food has morphed from just attraction to something else by the sounds of things. Mm, That's the I'm a shit eater podcast. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And what about aging? Oh, don't get me started, Tania. On what it is to just be able to age and to have wrinkles and to have lovely images of older men and women. I don't think it's a celebrated thing, the aging face and body. No, I guess I'm just kind of thinking about something you said, Julia, but it's like what extends from how you look. Like people make judgments about someone's appearance and what follows is then kind of these assumptions about what that means about their personality, Mm. how cool they are, how successful they are. There's all these kind of other things that are caught up with how you look and with the the aging population judgments around all sorts of things. We all know about the popular belief that only 25% of the population are attractive and that that 25% will be dealt with more quickly by emergency services, will get the best jobs, will be offered all these different things that have absolutely nothing to do with attraction or sexual attractiveness. But somehow we imbue the attractive in our population with good, quote unquote, Mm. qualities. And let's be clear that when we're using the term attractive, we are noting that that is a socially derived construct. Mm, Absolutely. It changes over time. Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be Jerry Halliwell. Lady Gaga. David Bowie. Finally, a workout that speaks your language and focuses on how you feel, not how you look. Shut up and dance. No mirrors, no photos, no problems. We teach routines inspired by films and music videos, and we specialise in clumsy, so you can focus on your shit dancing instead of your shit thoughts. P.S. Your dancing's amazing. It's not shit. We have so many examples of when this type of thinking comes up and our different ways of responding to that. In your example, Tanya, of kind of thinking about that woman who didn't feel like she could go to the pool because of, of the way that she looked. I'm just thinking there must be so many examples of that thinking when you are invited to a party and then you kind of look in your wardrobe and you go, oh my gosh, I just don't know what to wear. And you look in the mirror and you just kind of have all that shit thinking. And then you go, no, I'm not going. If you think about people kind of wanting to 
change the way that they look for example if they want to lose weight or that kind of thing what it might be like for people to try and enter a space like a gym or something where it can feel like bodies are on show yeah like do you either of you have any examples of times where this kind of thinking has got in the way of you being able to do stuff I remember as a teenager having a lot of acne and I remember getting made fun of for wearing makeup tramping and how humiliated I found that Mm. but it wasn't wearing makeup to look beautiful in my mind it was to just look bearable and I actually did my thesis on the impact of acne on adults and people in that talked about not doing frontline jobs not working in pharmacies I remember going into a pharmacy and them talking to me about acne products was not what I went into the pharmacy for (laughs) oh that's hard yeah, so definitely that avoid. Well, I don't think I didn't do things, but it was painful. I'm a bit the same, Tanya. I don't know that I got away with avoiding, but a lot of behaviors that I would do to try and cope with my negative thoughts and feelings about either my body or my face. So I think some nasty comments from boys at my school meant that I was at the beautician from you know a small girl getting hair taken out of anywhere on my face that would you know I could find it convinced that Mm. I had a hairy face oh even saying this out loud is making my tummy turn over yeah I still have this vivid memory of being like 12 when this boy at school told me I had a big nose And I had never in a million years thought anything about, you know, my nose or in relation to my face or anything like that. And it became this kind of complex that no one else would ever notice. But I think it can be like that, that where something can happen and then this kind of thinking can spiral and get really, really big. And then you're trying to do things in response to that. But I think another thing is, particularly as a young person, no one was really talking about these thoughts either. And so it it sort of becomes this private struggle that you'll feel like that you're the only one Mm. who's experiencing. And once that thought's been implanted, as with all other thoughts, there's no getting rid of it. Once the thought, I have a hairy face, was there, I could not make it not there. No, we know that with our thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, as much as we try. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess as young people, our only option was to go with it. Or it felt like the only option was to go with it, to believe it, and to act upon it, which is such a shame, isn't it? How many times have both of you purchased things (laughs) in your lifetimes to try and correct some, you know, facial... belief about something wrong with a face or a leg or a man I've got some weird products over the years it's a capitalist dream our dissatisfaction with ourselves isn't it oh yes how much money has been spent and made in the beauty industry because imagine if we felt okay Imagine if there was nothing to correct. Yes. What would happen to a lot of massive companies? There is a lot riding on Mm. us being constantly dissatisfied Mm. with some feature of Mm. ourselves. Uh, I know that, you know, media will promote our insecurities, but one product 
really gets me and that's these products that claim that your vagina smells bad and that you need to wash it with particular perfume stuff it kills me oh yes I've seen that um I'm not even going to name it because then no I'm not going to name it either absolutely the idea that our beautiful vaginas that smell exactly how they're supposed to smell I find it horrific that people have decided to advertise that we don't smell okay and do something about it it's yeah we're we're leaning into media i think it could be a, a gong moment yeah We've talked about in other podcasts when the scale of our comparison with others was our immediate community, we were only comparing ourselves with what are their names? Bob, I think was Bob. one of them, but maybe Bob. we would. You and I wouldn't Bob. be comparing Dora? ourselves with Bob, but <laughs> Bob, we were comparing ourselves with Grogan and you. Droga. Droga. Yep. Now we have a media world where we see these enormous billboards of an idealized airbrushed resized concept of what we're now told to think of as perfection and being 51 I've missed this world but I would be really interested in you youngies reflections on presenting yourselves in social media and changing how you look like does that happen yes that happens all the time I mean I am not very sophisticated in it but there's huge editing suites that you can do in different apps on your phone to make yourself look what I guess people hope is way better than you actually look. And what is that saying to our little inner 12-year-old that called pimple face? What is that? Right, I'm not okay. It's got to feel a bit weird inside, I think. I think it's even bigger than that. I think it's messages like "You're, you're not okay, there's something wrong with you and you're not worthy and you're not good enough if you don't present yourself in this particular way. And this particular way, quote unquote, is becoming incredibly narrow. It's now a particular lip size, particular eyes, particular makeup style. And in fact, I think I saw it on the news the other day that they're actually legislating against fillers, for example, in some countries prior to the age of 18, because we're actually seeing growth of young, girls wanting to look like the Instagram models so everyone's becoming this cookie cutter version of ourselves like attractiveness is only one look yeah it's great to have a curiosity about that stuff and I think that's one thing that's wonderful about children and young people can be such great critical analyzers of some of that stuff. I've heard some great Mm. discussions by young people looking at really wanting to challenge airbrushing and, but it is relentless. And I think your comment again, Jesse, that second arrow that we so don't want to be influenced and we get influenced. Mm. We get influenced by everything around us. I think most of us genuinely want to do what matters in our lives, invest in what matters, not necessarily in looking a certain way and then we 
beat ourselves up for feeling influenced. Mm. And the influencers, I guess, are so powerful. I mean, there's so much research to show that when a product is paired with someone who is beautiful, it's significantly more likely to sell. This is very powerful that the power of the attractive, I guess, can sell what otherwise might be a really low demand kind of product if you just simply pair it with someone who looks beautiful or better, you know, a couple who look beautiful, then it's it's going to fly off the shelves. The one thing we can absolutely guarantee is that none of us will ever match up. Mm. If you're in that industry, you know, you read some of the memoirs of people who have been in modeling, like their horrific experiences for feeling utterly demoralized about never being good enough. The people that are making it to our unattainable standards, then they have to somehow keep that status, but they never feel okay either. We will, Mm. in this capitalistic phenomena, we will never be okay Mm. if we choose to believe. Part of that is that we're underestimating our caveman, our caveman's job job is to compare ourselves to others and often unfavorably so it doesn't really matter how well you do your makeup caveman's good at this he will he or she will find something else where you're failing where you're lacking and so if we keep trying to strive for perfection in an attempt to make ourselves feel better or to quieten our caveman it's not really going to happen So what do we do to be kind to our brains? One of the thoughts is how we celebrate what our bodies do, mm. not what they look like, our, those amazing bodies that leap out of bed in the morning. <laughs> mm. One of the times that I feel the best about my body is after having been at a personal training session where all of a sudden it becomes clear that I can do more of a pull-up or I can hold a handstand for longer uh, so that I actually start celebrating my strength rather than my appearance. Yeah, thinking about the function of our bodies, mm. like they all of the things that they enable us to do, not just physically, but also my body enables me to go and see and connect with my friend I can walk myself over to their desk at work you know our bodies enable us to do so many things that are that are important to us and our faces especially in our job that our faces can convey empathy can convey kindness can convey a lot of really valuable things and that's what our clients and our families and our friends all connect with. They're pretty special things. And I guess that's been really evident lately when we're all being wearing masks. The loss of being able to see somebody's face and their beautiful facial expressions has been really hard for most of us. Isn't that a beautiful face, a face that cares about you mm. and is concerned and celebratory? Mm. Or, a, yeah, a smiling face. Has anyone noticed that a smiling face is often really beautiful? We have really warm, attractive feelings towards it, no matter what the features are doing. Yeah, and no matter how much acne there is on the cheeks mm. around the smile or what yeah. how tanned the skin is or how much makeup's on it or anything like that. 
it's all about connecting with each other. Yeah. And for those of us that are parents, modeling that celebration of incredible bodies that can walk up hills. And Mm. I remember finding after having three babies, um, possibly after having one, definitely finding my new stomach (laughs) interesting. And I really reflected later on that and thinking, no, this is a, what a celebration of a stomach that Mm. has been able to carry Mm. three children, three babies, Mm. not children, and being able to just fully appreciate Mm. our bodies. One of the things that my daughter loves to do with my stomach is to press it and feel its softness and its wobbliness and we call it a mummy tummy and we discuss how adorable it is that it created her and it's so soft and comfortable and comforting because she can put her head on it is one of the softest places to be and it feels really lovely and so getting to connect with my mummy tummy in that way has been really lovely yeah those are such lovely examples of how you can you know model those really important things to your children around this really important stuff and and celebrating all of the differences that that happen to our bodies over time and in creating that sense of yeah this is really cool that my body does this stuff and my body looks this way another way that we can be kind to other people is through being really thoughtful about the things that we say like I'm often really struck by how normalized conversations about bodies and appearances are in my workplace in the lunchroom for example the number of times that I hear it's usually women, but I'm in a, a female-dominated workplace, but make comments about, oh, I've, I've put on weight, oh, I shouldn't be eating this, oh, all these kind of comments that yeah. have become so kind of normal and almost there's this kind of camaraderie or something that comes for people to kind of talk in this way. But actually, I, I think it can be really unhelpful and actually perpetuate some of the stuff that we've been talking about. There's that really old movie, The Full Monty, and there's this scene where where one of the men, he's a bigger man, has this reaction because they're going to dance with no clothes on, aren't they? They're going to do sort of a striptease. And he says to his wife, I'm not doing it. Who would want to see this? And it's just this beautiful scene. And she'd go, I would want to see this, his big, beautiful body. What an attractive thing it is to have someone who's able to love their bodies. Mm. Like, isn't that Mm. a beautiful thing? And we might have people out there going, yes, but my body is not attractive or my face isn't attractive. That's just the truth. And I'd be referring them back to earlier podcasts around caveman is likely to say those kinds of things because it's in his best interests to have you work harder to get a good mate and stay alive and people will often say to me yes but mirrors don't lie well actually they do even our perception is flawed there's holes in our visual field for example that our brain just makes up and I don't know if any of you guys have had the experience of I've been in a mirror before and gone oh I look terrible and then come back five minutes later and go, oh no I'm looking really flash and it completely changes depending on how my mood is or how much coffee I've had or <laughs> so actually even mirrors 
aren't that helpful when we're trying to determine our attractiveness. If you find that you're spending a lot of time in the mirror or avoiding mirrors completely, I'd just be really wary about that, that actually mirrors aren't everything that they've cracked up to be (laughs) (laughs) because our brain can sabotage them. Would it be great if we just didn't have them? But how many mirrors would cavemen have had? You know, <laughs> odd lake, maybe. Yeah. But what if we looked at them and we just looked lightly in the mirror and was like, hey, there's a person who's lived a few years. Well, yes, a, a, <laughs> even a puddle mirror in caveman days is unlikely to be that detailed yeah. or accurate. Yeah. And now we've got mirrors that, you know, we get special lights on top of them and magnifying ones to see every single little floor. It's ridiculous. That isn't a floor, is it? That's There's our minds even yeah. yeah, which is just the markings of like, when you say floor, are you thinking of um, wrinkles? I was actually thinking of oversized pores, Tania. Oh, sorry. I was thinking of wrinkles being <laughs> as someone who might be about to take a photo on my phone and then I frown and look down. I don't know how many times doing a selfie. And, oh, that's a brutal experience. And I think you said earlier, Julia, about that idea of how strong our cave person is. And the more that we try and get rid of these thoughts or get rid of these feelings, the louder and stronger they become. You hear so many stories of people ending up in all sorts of awful situations, like through plastic surgery, for example, because as soon as you, I'm doing um, quotation marks, fix one part of of the Mm. way that you look, your mind will immediately find something else. Absolutely. One of the things that I do is when I'm out and about and I see someone, you know, different, I'm going to draw out our examples, no matter of their nose, their acne, their hair. (laughs) Um, I have a little practice of being celebratory in my mind of that person's beauty in the world. I know that sounds possibly a little bit naff, but it's like a counterpoint. If we can celebrate everyone around us and their glorious diversity, isn't that the world we want? Mm. I so don't want to be in the world where everybody looks the same. No. And I also don't want to be that person that their life is so narrow because all they're focusing on is their appearance. I don't know many people that in my personal life or my professional life where one of their values is I really, really desperately want to be attractive for my entire (laughs) life. Um, And as long as I can attain that, then I'll be happy. Usually the things that come up are, you know, I want to be considered kind, funny, smart, caring, uh, adventurous, creative. Those are the things that humans actually find really important. And so I guess I would say to our listeners, if you find that you're getting caught up in appearance, just sort of taking stock or pausing and thinking about what's really important to you and trying to grow those parts so that in comparison, your focus on your appearance actually shrinks. Yeah. Thinking not just about the things that are really important to you but also that those different aspects of your identity mm-hmm. our appearance is what's on the outside and it's what people see for the first time so I think sometimes that's the, the go-to for us 
humans kind of making those initial judgments but actually that's one tiny part of who we are and how what are the other things that are really important to you about your identity what else defines you your appearance doesn't define you it's how you act and behave in the world and how can you show other people what's on the inside similarly coming back to the basic functions of food rather than a catalyst for either bulking us up or slimming us down, that actually food is supposed to be pleasurable, food is supposed to be nourishing, food is supposed to be healing, and maybe slowing down and taking stock of how you eat your food, how you're enjoying your food, literally slowing down as you're eating and savoring the flavors the tastes maybe the experience that you might be having with others around a table while you do that rather than the function of it getting narrowed down to just is this making me fat or not is this giving me pimples or not yeah and I think the same could be said for exercise as well are you exercising in order to look a particular way or are you exercising because it's good for your health and means that you're going to be able to do all of the things that matter to you for longer it makes me think about the difference between values and goals like when you get really caught up in the goal or the outcome which might be I will look skinnier or I will look more muscly or I will look this particular way compared with actually thinking about that the value and, and what's important to you behind your behavior like I will do things to nourish my body like that you can't kind of necessarily fail at that in the same way as if you get really caught up in the outcome I, I'm aware that this is a really big topic and that we could go into lots of different areas and give lots of different tricks and techniques but I I don't know about you guys I think this is an okay place to to summarize yeah it's one of those topics eh, that we all feel like we've covered so lightly and we could go so deep Mm. to lots of different places Mm. and that's okay we're taking our passengers along (laughs) for a ride with us and we're moving refer back to previous episodes when we talked about passengers on a bus we're leaning in into what matters we had a reflection together in the interlude about how we all three of us were skipping through the daffodils one day when suddenly someone told us there was something wrong with how we looked and we Mm. were reflecting together on that that's incredibly difficult at a time when you're forming your identity to suddenly learn that you are are wrong in some way and that that is dictated by others and just hold it all a bit lightly our desire to always look different to have some goal of looking a certain way and what if their goal value was just to live a live a life that felt rich and wonderful Mm. and Mm. dancing isn't there a moment when you're dancing where you just don't there is nothing about what you look like in that moment Mm. what's attractive is people loving their lives isn't it isn't that the most attractive Mm. thing yeah So thanks so much for tuning in to our seventh podcast. Again, we appreciate you giving up your valuable time to listen to something we worry might have not gone the breadth of what we had wanted it to. It might be a little bit shit because of that. 
And the next show, we're going to get a little bit controversial and we're going to do I'm having the thought I'm shit at sex. Or is it just I'm shit at sex? Either way, something about sex. How are you feeling about that one, Tanya? You know this isn't my um, topic of choice, Jesse, but I'll be coming along for the ride. (laughs) So we hope you tune in. It should be informative and a little bit of a laugh. As usual, we welcome any feedback please feel free to rate us on Apple Podcasts if available. Bye from me. Bye. See ya.